But Easter's always had candy with the Easter basket, the jelly beans and the chocolate bunnies, the baskets. Maybe it was breakfast with your family every Easter Sunday or lunch, Easter dresses, new suits. What is Easter about to you? Of all the holidays that we celebrate, Easter is the most important. All of history centers on this one weekend over 2,000 years ago. Because on this weekend, sin was pardoned, our souls were redeemed, our lives were justified, and through the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ on the cross, all of history was changed. But the glorious message of, Christ, of, the, of the cross is not that just that Jesus died in our place. Rather, the glorious message of the cross is that Jesus conquered death through his glorious resurrection. This is the message of Easter. The most fantastic story. The most wondrous news. This week I saw a tweet from a well-known atheist and she made the comment, this is your annual reminder. People don't come back from the dead. I love the response of one pastor. That's the point. That's why it's so amazing that he did. Jesus lives. And so will we. So for the next few minutes, I want to spend some time together rehearsing this glorious news. Luke 24, beginning in verse number one. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. As we spend some time this morning together rehearsing the glorious message of Christ's resurrection, we'll be doing so by looking at two aspects of this message, the setting of Easter and the message of Easter. In order to understand why Easter is so important, in order to truly capture the glorious message of this holiday, the reason why it's more important than any other, we must understand the reason for Easter. Why did Jesus come, die, and rise again? Let's look at Easter's background. 
In order to understand the meaning of Easter, we must understand the purpose of Christ's life, the purpose of his ministry. We're told in Genesis 1 that in the beginning, God created all things with his words, all things but one. His special creation, mankind, he came and formed out of the dust of the ground with his own hands and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul made in the image of God. But it was not long before Satan rebelled against God and was cast out and determined to hijack his very creation for himself. And so he came to mankind and tempted him with the Belief that if he disobeyed God and rebelled, he would become a God himself. And so man followed that, believing that he would become a God and rebelled against God. And in that day that he rebelled, death entered the world. Every bad thing we ever face, every tragedy, trial, conflict comes as a result of that one sin. For every one of us is followed in the steps of our fathers. By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin and death passed on all men because all of us sin. Every one of us rebels against God. Every one of us goes our own way. And sin and death entered the world and it began to degrade. Rebellion continued. As Genesis continues on, we see right after Genesis 3, Genesis 4, when the first murder was committed. Cain murdered Abel because he came in pride, while Abel came in humility. And so God sent away Cain. And we see over and over, death reigns. Sin triumphed. So God looked upon man and chose out from mankind one man, Abraham. And from him he chose to make a race and a nation. And he promised him, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you a people, I'm going to give you a nation. But through them, the world will be blessed. For in the garden, God had promised Adam and Eve that sin would not triumph. Instead, a seed would come who would conquer sin and death. And then God promised Abraham that that seed would come through him. And we continue on, but we see Israel fail. Sin continued to triumph. Abraham was not that seed. In fact, it got so bad that Israel was taken into captivity and the people no longer existed. And for 400 years, no one heard from God. It seemed as though the devil had won. God's creation had fallen apart. But then came a man named John the Baptist. He began to preach that the one is coming. The seed is just around the corner. One day as he's baptizing there in the Jordan River, he looks up and he sees a man walking by. You can picture in your mind's eye as he brings someone up out of the water. He stops and he tells the people, look, Move to the side a little bit. See that guy right there? That's him. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus enters into the scene. 
And he begins to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm about to do something great. I'm about to conquer sin. But you have to believe me. But they didn't. Although he preached among them and did amazing miracles and raised the dead and healed their sick, created food out of nothing and changed the water to wine, they rebelled against him yet again. And they condemned him to death. We looked at this on Friday night. Luke 23, it tells us that they took him hostage. They arrested him with no good means. They brought false witnesses against him, but they couldn't agree. And so finally, in frustration, the high priest looked at Jesus and said, you just need to tell us, are you God or not? And Jesus, now that they'd made the right, right accusation, Confirmed it. Said, yep, you've said it. I am the son of man. I will come in the clouds with my angels and establish the kingdom. And they understood what he was saying. Began to rip their clothes. Began to yell and scream. He's committed blasphemy. He claims to be God. And they condemned him to death. Luke continues in verse 33 of chapter 23. When they came to the place that is called the skull there, they crucified him. The criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They cast lots to divide his garments. The people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the son of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. He was now about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathes his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. We note two things about his death. One was that this was Christ's sacrifice of himself. Often it's been asked, who killed Jesus? Some say perhaps the Jews killed him, or the Romans killed him, or we killed him. But the answer is no one killed him. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. He gave up his own life for us. 
we see that even in the moment of his death, he cried with a voice of triumph. It's finished. He committed himself to God and died. That moment it appeared that death had won. God had died. Darkness, even creation, groaned and mourned his death. There was a purpose to his death. It was to demonstrate his love toward us. Romans 5, 8 tells us God loved us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. It was a substitutionary death. He took on himself our sin. He took our punishment on himself there in death. First Peter 2 tells us he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sins. And by his wounds were healed. But at the time, no one understood this. So in order to understand Easter, we need to also understand Christ's burial. You see, we learn that it was a hurried burial. Christ died just before the Passover, just before the Sabbath. And so they had to rush to get him into the ground. Luke continues on in verse 15. There was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. Two issues rise from the timing of Jesus' death. You see, Sabbath began at sundown on the day of his death. So there was the issue of of Sabbath law. Law stated that no work could be done on the Sabbath. And so the men needed to get Christ's body into the tomb and prepare for Sabbath. And so as twilight is coming, they're rushing to get him off the cross and and prepare his body as best they can. And so they wrap him as best they can. They put him into the tomb, Joseph's own tomb. No one had ever been buried there yet. We'll see later the Jews were deterred, were, were, were scared that, Someone would steal the body, so they roll the stone in there. The women are watching to see so that they can come back later and prepare his body rightly. But it was rushed. Secondly, it was secured. We see that while the disciples didn't understand Christ's message of resurrection, the Jewish leaders did. The disciples missed the reality that Christ said he was going to rise, but the Jewish leaders didn't miss that. We see in Matthew 27, it says they came before Pilate. They said, sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away. And tell the people he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. 
They remembered what Jesus said. So they went to Pilate and said, Pilate, you, you need to make sure no one steals his body. The disciples are going to go. They're going to steal it. Then they're going to lie and say he rose from the dead. Pilate says, you do what you need to do. And so they went and they sealed the tomb. They would have put wax over the stone. They rolled this heavy stone over the doorway and they would have put wax around it and put a seal on it, demonstrating that anyone who broke it would be uh, condemned to death. They stationed soldiers in front of it to guard it, to make sure no one would take it. This tomb was secured. No one was going in there. Nothing was going to happen. This is important when we discuss the reality of resurrection. Some will say, remember, Jesus could not have risen from the dead. He's dead. Dead people stay dead. The disciples stole the body. That's what happened. They don't read the story. That would have taken quite a feat for fishermen, laymen to overcome trained soldiers and steal the body and no one know anything about it. This then leads to the women's surprise. The burial had been hurried. The body was not ready. That day they didn't have embalming. And so what they would do is they would take the body and they would wrap it and they would put in spices and herbs in the wrapping in order to cut down on the stench of the decaying body and to help it decay properly. And they didn't have time to do this before the burial. And so the women came back on that third day, hoping to get permission to enter the tomb and to properly prepare his body for burial. And so that first day of the week on Sunday morning, following the proper Sabbath and Passover laws, the women came to the tomb in order to properly prepare the body and encourage proper decay. And you can picture them as they're on the road. They met somewhere there in Jerusalem. You can picture them as they exit the city, headed towards the garden where the tomb was. And they're talking amongst themselves. You can see the tears coming out of their eyes. Jesus, the one they loved, the one they thought was was the king, was going to establish his kingdom and save them from their sin. He's dead. You can imagine as they're walking, rehearsing the fun and exciting events that they'd experienced around Jesus. You can hear one of them saying to the other, remember Remember that time by the Sea of Galilee? We were all so hungry. There wasn't any food. The only one who'd remembered was some kid whose mom had packed him a lunch. And Jesus took that little lunch and remember how he just started breaking it apart and, and feeding everybody? Wow. I wonder why I wonder why he wouldn't use that power to keep himself from dying. Remember that time when, when Peter's mom was dead and, and Jesus went in and brought her back? Man, I wish Jesus was here to do that now. And they wept. And somewhere along the way, one of them remembered the problem. Oh, ladies, I think we forgot about something. What? Well, there's that stone. 
that big, giant stone. It's in front of the door. How are we going to get in there? Perhaps another lady responded, you know, you worry too much. Always the planner. We'll figure it out. Let's just go. On their way, there's an earthquake. You can imagine that. They're not that prevalent, just like they're not that prevalent here. Like, what in the world was that? All right, let's keep going. And as they get closer, they notice. Wait a minute, something's something's going on. There's an unsecured grave. We see that in verse 2 of chapter 24. When they arrived, they found something amiss. The grave was supposed to be secured. There's supposed to be a stone covering the doorway. There's supposed to be guards in front of it. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. You wonder what's going through their minds. Why is the stone gone? Did someone beat us to it? Maybe Joseph and his servants are already here doing the job we wanted to do. They go in and they discover something even worse. Not only is the stone rolled away, the body is missing. Jesus is gone. So as they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. One can imagine their distress. In fact, we're told, John, that Mary Magdalene left. She was so distressed, she left at that very moment. Jesus came to her a little later. She thought he was the gardener. And she asked him a question. because She's weeping and he says, what's wrong? And she says, Jesus is gone. What have you done with him? You can imagine their distress. The body of the one they loved was missing. His memory was disgraced. Someone had stolen him and moved him. What what are they supposed to do? Enter the angels and the spectacular message of Easter. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they're in a panic, suddenly the room lit from two men in eye-dazzling apparel. The apparel that was almost too difficult to look at because of its radiance. And we learn the message of Easter. You see... The message that the angels brought is the reason why we gather today and why we gather every Sunday. The message that the angels brought is the greatest news that can ever be shared. It's the message of Easter. So let's begin by discussing the content of this message. What exactly is this message and what does it mean? Verse 5 says, as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you? 
while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. There's two parts to this message. He is alive. Jesus conquered death. It's true. Dead people don't rise. Dead people don't come alive. Done a lot of funerals. I think last count was about 55. None of them. Not one of them. They had the experience. I'm standing there. The casket's open. And all of a sudden the body sits up. Gets up. And starts walking around. If that happened... I don't think any of us would conclude, whoa, a miracle. We would all conclude someone messed up. They forgot to check and see if he was dead. But Jesus was dead. And now he's not. He's alive. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1.10, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light Through the gospel. Jesus died. But he conquered it. He conquered death. In a way that none of us could do. Hebrews 2 tells us. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy the one. Who has power of death. That is the devil. If you do a roll call. The annals of death. You call out the names of the various prophets and false gods that are out there. You might hear the roll call, Buddha! And you'll hear the answer, here. You hear the roll call to Muhammad. And you'll hear the answer, here. But you hear the roll call. Jesus of Nazareth. And you'll hear the answer. He's not here. He's risen. You see, we serve a God who is alive. And it's important that we believe that he is, a, he is living because it's through his resurrection that our justification is secured. We are made right before God because Jesus rose from the dead. Romans chapter 4 tells us he was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And that's the message. Because he lives, you can be alive too. You don't have to fear death. That's the message of verse 7. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third and on the third day rise. What's the point of all that? Jesus died and lives so that you and I don't have to die, but can live. Paul lays this out in first Corinthians 15. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. But when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Easter means. Life is hard. Sin is real. Because of it, we have sickness and disease and death and conflict and trial. Governments don't work. I don't know if you figured that out yet. Relationships break. Your bodies fail. And death comes for everyone. As a result, life can feel pointless. Life can be scary and overwhelming. But Easter means it doesn't have to. Because death is not the end. In fact... What Easter means is that what comes after death is not the afterlife, but the real life. This is just the pre-life. You see, because Christ conquered death and rose from the dead, you and I don't have to fear death. Because it is simply the gateway to eternal life. Our sins were taken on Christ. And cast away. And Christ lives. And because he lives. We will too. But how. Do we respond to this. You see there are two responses. To Easter. There are two responses to the gospel. The reality that we are plagued by sin and depravity and only through Christ's death, burial and resurrection and faith in him can we be saved. There are only two responses that can happen. Well, how did the disciples respond and how should we respond? One of two. And these carry with them eternal significance. Verse nine begins these responses. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. There's Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women who with them told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. One response is to reject the message because it seems nonsensical and unbelievable. It says they believed it was an idle message, an idle tale. They didn't believe him. The idea of being an idle tale. It's just crazy. Nonsensical. A fantasy. You could put yourselves in their shoes. 
disciples are mourning Jesus' death. They're wondering what they should do now. Their lives had been all about Jesus. They had pledged their allegiance to him. They're known as Jesus' people. And now they're worried they're going to get killed. And here come these women. They can't believe it. Guys, you won't believe it. Jesus is alive. Okay, ladies. He's dead. We saw it. We saw him put in the grave. And when people die, they're dead. They don't come back. Right? There's no mostly dead. There's all dead. Okay, ladies. I know you want him back. But he's dead. That's a message and a belief that we see today. Dead people don't live. That, that's, that's the tale of horror stories. Dead people coming back. Right? We don't, dead people don't come back. But there's a different response. The response of faith and wonder. Peter, Peter wanted to verify it. So he rose and he ran to the tomb. He looks in. There's no body there. So he goes in. Cloths, the linen wrappings are over by themselves. We're told elsewhere the angels talk to him with the same message. Jesus is alive. And Peter believed it. Says he went home marveling at what happened. This is the response that leads to life. See, Jesus' resurrection means nothing if you don't believe it. There's no power for you if you don't respond in faith. It is nothing but an idle tale. But for those who understand its truth, for those who do believe it, it holds eternal life. Romans 10 tells us, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Well, the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, this life doesn't have to be all there is. Your problems don't have to define you. Your sin doesn't have to be the story of your life. Death does not have to be the end. Christ came to take it all on himself. He lived that sinless life and he died for you in your place. And he conquered death through his resurrection. So if you will confess him as your Lord, give him your life and believe that indeed he did rise from the dead. You'll have eternal life. You'll be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
We live in a society today that is terrified of death. It is doing everything it can to stop death. It is doing everything it can to extend life. Yet it has nothing to live for. There's no purpose to life. But through Christ, we don't need to fear death at all. In fact, we look forward to it. We're ready. But we have everything to live for. Because we're living now for Christ. We live in an unusual time. This last year has tested our faith. It's tested our belief that the Bible is true in what it says. For some, it has tested their faith that God is in control and they don't need to fear death or disease or sickness. For others, it has tested their faith that God is indeed in control and we can indeed honor governments and indeed honor those in leadership. And believe that God means what he says. But it all comes down to whether or not we believe the resurrection. You see, Jesus rose from the dead. Death couldn't stop him. A virus won't stop him. Death couldn't stop him. The government certainly can't. Death couldn't stop him. Critics certainly can't. So trust him. Live for him. Because he lives, we have an eternal kingdom coming that is greater than anything. If we were as patriotic about the eternal kingdom as we are about this one, God would change the world. If we were as devoted to our service to God as we are about our own rights, God would change the world. If we believed as strongly that God rose from the dead as we do about our various positions on things today, God would change the world. So believe. Because he is not dead. He's alive. Let me leave you with three things. Because he is alive, you can live too through faith. I have to believe that in a group this size, there are some who have not yet placed their faith and trust in Christ. You're just living life. You're just hoping. Being a good person does not fulfill it. You see, God in his justice cannot allow even one sin into his perfection. One sin mars all of it. You and I have committed way more than one sin. Thousands upon thousands. So God in his justice cannot allow that into heaven. Goodness will not do it. Morality will not do it. You have to be perfect. It's impossible. But faith in Christ places his perfection onto your account and gives you life. Number two, if you believe it, then you need to share it. Share the glorious message of the gospel. Do you believe it? 
and share it. The incredible good news. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear life. You need to fear nothing because Jesus is alive. Finally, live resurrection lives. Because he's living, it means that our lives should be different too. Everything the Bible says, we obey whether we like it or not, whether we believe that it's best or not, because it is. We obey it. We follow it. We trust it. Live resurrection lives. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, fear's gone. Because he lives, you will live. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity that you have given us to remember your incredible gift to us. That through your life, we have life. Lord, I pray that we would live as a reflection of your life. That we would truly believe that you are alive. And that we would live in light of it. Thank you for the gift of salvation. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.